Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, hey, Life Uncloseted family, it's time once again for Life Uncloseted, where we invite people to come out of their closets, not only sexually, but on all sorts of subjects. And sometimes you just got to step in with someone who can give you some insight from a completely different perspective, whether that be about feminism or raising children or being a mother or sex. You just got to find the person who can really help you see, wow, there's a whole lot of different kinds of closets. And the only way to get out of these interesting little closets that we face are to dump our fears, face our excuses and truly, truly, live unapologetic lives. And I came across our guest today through a friend of mine, and she is a poet, she's a writer, she's an educator. She's done academic papers, essays, all those sort of things. But the most recent thing that she has done is a very interesting book, which calls out a view of how mothers should be showing up to give their children advice, specifically their sons, on love and lovemaking. And as soon as I heard about this, I knew I wanted to bring her to the podcast. Her name is Natasha Ria Elskari, and as I said, she's a writer, poet, performer, and educator. And I'm excited to dive into why it's so important to bring this interesting subject out of the closets about what mothers can be teaching their sons about love and lovemaking. So Natasha, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, Rick. I am so excited to be here and to see you in person with your good looking self. Look at Uh you. (laughs) Right back at you. And of course, nobody else can see that because we do this with the audio only. But um, this is such a beautiful, insightful subject matter. But um, I want to kind of start with you as who you are and why you felt this compelling drive to go publish this book. So let's kind of talk about some of your work, you know, working in feminism and all that sort of stuff and what really got you to this place. So give us just a little back history here. Sure. Um, I think the back history is kind of uh, important. So I grew up in an all-female household. It was my mother um, and my sister and I. And I realized that that is probably the earliest uh, experience that I had with feminism Mm -hmm. because anytime you're growing up in a home that doesn't have men, you're just going to experience, see, and uh, do things that would be different if you live with a man. Mm-hmm. And um, either it's walking around nude all the time or the things that you talk about or the things that you show each other. Life is just very different in a patriarchy if you live with a man. Yep. Um, and I think particularly, well, I can speak from the African-American perspective um, you know, the idea around the body and nudity mm-hmm. between, you know, father and daughter, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty, it's not like, um, it's not like scary weird, but it's just very much like, go ask your mother. Yep. Um, it's not like, oh, let, let dad talk to you, you know, mm-hmm. about this or that. It's kind of like, you're a girl, go ask your mother those things. And so um, that is, you know, African-American communities are very matrilineal. They are very matriarchal anyway. 
Um, so you don't always know that you're growing up that way until you kind of see otherwise. Uh, my mother gave me a lot of time and space to create. So I started writing and journaling and writing poetry very, very young um, at around the age of eight or nine. And she fueled it. You know, she gave me things to look at. She gave me things to read. Um, I wanted a desk and pins for my birthday, mm -hmm. you know, that uh -huh. kind of stuff. And so um, I first became introduced feminism, I think, when I went to school and I started discovering how different girls and boys were treated from each other, really around middle school. Mm -hmm. You know, before, in elementary, you know, girls can be smart, they can be fast, they can run, they can do all those things, but we really start to kind of push these gender roles around the seventh, eighth grade. And um, I was introduced to bell hooks. I read Talking Back, Thinking Feminist, Thinking Black, and it was like so hard. I mean, I was 14, you know, and it was like mm -hmm. <laughs> her headiest, most academic book, but right. something in it just ignited. And I was like, mom, I think we're feminists, you know? And she was just like, black women are feminists too. So you have to remember I was coming of age around the color purple, hitting the mm -hmm. screen, mm -hmm. um, you know, the bluest eye, uh, Maya Angelou, yep. Nikki Giovanni. And I was, I was someone who lived in the library. If I skipped school or skipped class, I was sneaking in the library. I had a secret relationship with the librarians. They slid me books. You know, it was that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, so I've always written and performed poetry. That's my first love. Um, a lot of people kind of know me as a spoken word artist. Um, so my first book is a collection of spoken word poems. My second book is more of a literary work and published individual poems and I have art a little bit of everywhere. I have an art gallery, you know, and I write a lot of ekphrastic poetry. So uh, that is kind of my, my thing. This book, mm -hmm. Lama Sutra, is my first nonfiction book. And, um, you know, like I say in the book, what, what ended up happening um, was uh, March the 13th of this year, I was having my midnight phone conversation with my son, mm -hmm. which we always do. We call each other on, our, on at midnight on mm -hmm. our birthdays, uh, me and my son and my daughter, and my mom, you know, it's kind mm -hmm. of our family thing. Oh, cool. And, and so um, we ended up getting into a conversation that lasted like three hours and we were just talking extensively about college and sex. And he was, we were cracking up and just talking about different things. And I said, you know, son, um, and he says, you know, mom, I am for sure none of my friends are having this kind of conversation with their moms. Mm. In fact, I know they aren't. Um, and he was like, I think you should write a book and you should name it Mama Sutra. And mm. you should just record and write all these things that we've talked about over the years. And he was like, you'll thank me for it later. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of that thing, which I'm sure, I don't know what it was like for you when you realized you really but there was yeah. probably a tingle and yeah. you listened to the first tingle or you listened to the 200s tingle, yep. but you knew when it was time to jump. And so I'm working on another collection called still life. And, um, I was quick to abandon that. And I started writing this book. Um, I took a break from it for a two months. And then that was how I spent my summer, uh, June and July writing the book, August editing the book. And my son and I shared a document and I just said, hey, what do you think? What do you about think about this order? And then I got five guys and uh, two women to be beta readers. And mm -hmm. I just said, hey, this is what I'm doing. And they were like, what the fuck? Like you actually <laughs> just wrote a whole book and you're a poet. And I was like, I had to write. I was like, it was so passionate when I realized that I was so tired of women putting crappy lovers in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I was tired of hearing women 
of all ages, you know, 19 to 99, having these horrible and amazing experiences and, you know, sitting around the kitchen table and it's kind of like, these men were never told this. And Mm -hmm. so when you try to coach somebody who's never been coached, they're uncoachable. And so they're, they're very tied to their horrible lovemaking uh, because they've never been told. And so they're like, well, since I've never been told, then it's not real. You know, I think we call that what cognitive dissonance or normalcy bias when you're like, well, this is how it's always been. So this is how it must be. And you have these women who are like, I, I don't like this. And men that are like, what's wrong? You're supposed to like this. It's you. Right. So as we have all these evolutions and, um, of sex and sexuality and women being open and talking more and not just feminist and not just those renegade women, but ordinary women who are soccer moms who are saying my sex life sucks right? and I don't want it to suck anymore, you know, right. and I'm having sex with the lawn boy because he can put it down. Like, mm-hmm. like we can prevent this, like we can prevent this from happening. People can have amazing relationships and amazing sexual relationships. And so I raised my children very differently than most of the people that I know. I've always kind of been a renegade and I was around a group of really interesting women when I was my son. I was in graduate school at the University of Wisconsin in Madison and I was around women from all over the world. And those women were supporting their husbands in school, most of them. And then there were a few women who were in school. So you had this really different mix of women one of the things that they taught me, and I think it was the sole reason I went there, was that they told me, this is your baby. You raise this baby how you want to raise this baby. Forget what everybody else is telling you about how you should raise your child. And you'll know you have to trust yourself. I realized that that was why I was there. And so I started conversations with my son and my daughter about sex and sexuality early in life. It was a part of our lives. Um, I was married to their father. Uh, We were together for 10 years, and then when we divorced, so they went from a very traditional, heteronormative, you know, family to then now a mother who is operating with multiple male lovers. And I took my children along my journey with me. I didn't stop mothering them. I didn't start lying to them. I was like, this is what it is, you know? And so when they came with questions or, well, dad, married now? Why aren't you married? You know, all these different things. I was honest and I talked to them about it. You know, why does this person only come over late? (laughs) You know, and I was like, these are mom's special friends. These are not like your uncles. And, you know, my, we use uncle and Mr. And like in our community. Right. But I was like, these are not like your uncles, these men, your uncles, they're going to be here forever. They're going to come to your games and your recitals and your birthday parties. These are mom's special friends. So these are moms. These are just mom's friends. These aren't right. your friends. So you don't even have to speak to them. <laughs> you know, you, don't have to right, do right. you might pass them. You may never know them. And so uh, there were lovers that I had that my children knew their names, but they had never even met them. Cause mm. I mean, I was just that open and having these conversations. And what I realized is that, you know, the biggest mistake I think that women make both married and single mothers is that they, remove their sexuality out of the center of the conversation of being a mother. And so they lean into this patriarchal mom, which is, yes, I had sex only to have you, but I don't have it. I don't like it. I don't talk about it. And when you're going to go out into the world and you're going to have your own baby. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it is none of this. It's nothing about pleasure. It's nothing about intimacy. Right. It's nothing about any of that. And I have always, uh, I've never hid that from my children. And um, I realized that women have to free themselves. And of course, this is, some of this, I didn't realize how incredibly feminist it was because you have to remember, feminism wasn't something that um, I became. It was something that I was born right. into. And um, I believe that every Black woman is a feminist, whether she says she is or not, because there's no way you can survive in this country and not be. You right. have to have agency. You know, you mm -hmm. have to be able to stand up for yourself. You have, I mean, you have all these intersections that you're dealing with. And and so, um, so it was just what I knew, but I knew that I was starting to, um, I think I never thought much about my feminism as often because I was not a Christian mm -hmm. and that seemed to be a larger um, hurdle right. than it was being a feminist. You know, once you tell somebody you're not a Christian, you're already, <laughs> you're, right, you're, already, already you're already on the outside. And, yeah, so, and then you start to bring some of these things that you're talking about. And it can push people even further outside. I've yeah. always been very open. I mean, my kid, my girls were four and almost five and um, nine months old when I came out of the closet and we went through divorce and everything. And I was always open with my kids about everything to do with sexuality and sex to a point they can understand. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen it as a dirty word. I've never mm -hmm. seen it as like, let's hide this stuff, you know? And now that they're grown women, we still operate in that way. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, telling them everybody, you know, oh, but I, I will joke about, oh, he's really cute, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, or he's really hot or we, you know, we compare, you know, my husband and I will be with the girls and we'll kind of go, oh, this guy's really hot. And of course, you know, the girls roll their eyes and stuff. But it's it's interesting because the more, com I believe, and I, it sounds like you and I are pretty much in the same space. If we don't make it uncomfortable, it's comfortable. It's yes. that simple. Mm -hmm. And I believe, and again, it's kind of coming from my own perspective here, but if you create someone who's prudish about sex and sexuality, they will go out into the world being prudish about sex and sexuality. And they in turn have a higher chance of creating someone who will end up being prudish about sex and sexuality as well. It's like what we, what we bring our children to as we raise them is exactly what we put out into the world. And mm -hmm. I determined absolutely positively i do not want to have my daughters to have weird hang-ups in those particular areas yeah i was very intentional about that i wanted a son who was a lover who could appreciate everybody um and by everybody i mean every person and every actual physical body right that he wasn't on some kind of crazy you know, think about what a woman's body should look like or, you know, pre-birth versus post-birth bodies and what is and what isn't sexy. And of course, you know, he was raised around all of these amazing and dynamic women. So he just got that naturally. So he mm -hmm. saw petite women who were sexy. He saw large women that were sexy. He saw extra large women that were sexy. So he didn't yep. have the idea that only one group of people own sexy. I've always had friends that were single. I've had friends that are, you know, have always been married. I have friends that have divorced. I have friends that 
you know, are gay or straight or bi, mm -hmm. you know, so they've seen the whole life cycle and we haven't hid those things. You know, we've been a community. And when he went away to college, he was just like, wow, people actually grew up hearing and believing that like date rape is okay, you know, and he was really floored by the puritanical um, anti-woman things that he was hearing from young men his age. He literally grew up thinking that that was how older people thought. Mm. And so when he realized like, man, it is people out here 19 years old that think that it's okay to rape a woman if she's drunk, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so that was where the push for the book came from. And a lot of it is about communication and consent and that that is not a blanket one-time statement, right? right. You're, you may have a lover who is like, I like my neck to be kissed like this. And on the 199th time, she's like, I don't like that anymore. And that she gets to communicate that and that you get to respond appropriately without judging or shaming her mm -hmm. or internalizing that she doesn't like that anymore. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to make it about you. Right. And, and so, you know, raising, I feel like, and I don't know, there may be feminists that disagree with this, but, you know, um, a lot of feminists don't have children. But I believe that you don't get to skip the most crucial part to being an adult. Like, sex and sexuality is the most, it is something that you can enjoy in your adult life, regardless of your age, your race, your class. You can have the most amazing sex with no money in your account on your worst day. You can still have a life of amazing intimacy, love and joy. Mm -hmm. And we do our children a great disservice when we don't prepare them and teach them how to show up as a lover. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's like we teach our kids how to save money, how to pray, how right. to go to school. We teach them all this social justice. We teach them what's appropriate, how to communicate. And then it's like, oh, yeah, and figure out how to be a lover. No, we need, my son and I are close. He's not going to go and ask his father about sex. Mm -hmm. When he tells me everything first, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, right. um, and, and mothers are constantly giving unsolicited advice. <laughs> I was just giving some earlier. It's because it's, it's called, you know, it's called raising, it's called parenting. Mm -hmm. Parenting is an is, is a 18-year commitment to unsolicited yep. advice and another 18 years of learning how not to give unsolicited mm -hmm. advice. Exactly. You know what I mean? And exactly. So, and so here we are saying, well, I want to talk about that because they didn't ask about it. And I tell people, listen, I taught my daughter how to drive. Mm -hmm. And I was reminded recently as she was driving, we would we would get into the car and drive around the subdivision at 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. so that she wouldn't, you know, be on the road. And, and she drove miles an hour. And I would say, how does your body feel? You know, I would ask her all these different things. And I was reminded in that moment, like, we're all new to something. Yes. Can you imagine getting out in the world and having no skill set when it comes to being a lover? No one's taught you anything. No one's talked to you, you know? And so she had this thing. She was like, well, I saw a brother do this. 
am I turning better than brother turned? Or mm-hmm. I remember my friend said this, like she, you know, you, we, in, in um, education, we call it schemata, which is like right. past references, right? right? And so we send these adult children out into the world with no past references. My daughter asked me at the age of 12, could a boy's penis uh, be cut if a girl had braces <laughs> and gave him head? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when people say things to me like, oh, my daughter doesn't think about that or my daughter is not fast. I was like, this isn't even having to do with being fast. Right. All she knew is that there was a girl at her school that had braces and she had heard that that girl was given head. And she was like, Cut. Right, so exactly. of, you know, and it's like, that's not, it's a, it's a sexual question, but it's also a practical question. Mm-hmm. And sex is very practical, you know, well, sex is practical as long as you let it be practical. As, as soon as you start you putting, as soon as you start putting it in weird confines and 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 all these boxes of stuff, that's when it gets messy. That's when it gets ugly. And you have people who don't even know. I and I also so I'm a person who deeply loves sex and intimacy, and I feel like we learn so much about how to be a responsible human being in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. because you have to learn how to communicate difficult things. You right. have to overcome your shyness. You have to learn how to be bold. Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to own your feelings. Yep. If you're emotional, if you're feeling vulnerable, if you're not trusting, all that stuff you have to learn as a lover. Mm-hmm. You know? And so when, you, when I say love and lovemaking advice to my son, I feel like if we are sending our children out in the world as lovers, they are going to be better communicators, mm-hmm. going to know how to listen more, you know, and guess what? It, many of them are already having sex. Yep. In Missouri, the average age for sex is 13. Wow. That's the age of, to start in, in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And um, I love the show Big Mouth. Have you ever seen mm, this show? No, I haven't seen that. So it's a show. It's a cartoon. I don't even know where it comes on, but it's basically like these middle schoolers that mm. have all these puberty issues and they okay. have hormone monsters and the hormone monsters are like really crazy. They, they're very ornery. And, um, and you know, my daughter and I talk about our hormone monsters and she's like, are you having a hormone monster? I'm like, I am. Right. Exactly. I mean, like as this is a normal function in life. And right. so, um, I interviewed, my son and I interviewed 200 people, 200 okay. men of all different ages, backgrounds, age 17 to 70. We mm-hmm. reached out and asked all these men to answer questions. Only 25 of them responded. Wow. I'm and not I just, surprised. I'm and it was just two questions. It was two questions. And these are men we, I know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that I've known for years. But the question was, what did your mother teach you about sex? And what do you, she would have taught you about sex. Mm. And so that, those two questions created so much discomfort Mm -hmm. in men that, you know, and in the foreword, my son writes the foreword and he's like, you know, your mom is a sexual being. She wants to enjoy sex just like you. That's hard for men to think about. Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard for anybody to think about their parents having sex. But what I find so fascinating about this whole thing is we put people out there, as you said, into the world with no real experience about this. But then we wonder, oh, well, what happened with their relationship or what happened with their marriage? 
and I've always operated from that perspective of nobody actually taught us how to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's all trial and error. And when I am working with my guys who are coming out of the closet, we get to this point where they're suddenly like the kid in the candy store. It's like, okay, I've never been able to have sex with a guy and wow, I get to go do this. And then they wonder why they're so stir crazy and dick crazy and everything Mm -hmm. else. And then they're like, but I can't, I can't keep a relationship. I'm like, yes, because you are a 40 year old, 50 year old, 60 year old guy in a 14 year old's body right now. Yeah. Body is reacting from this space. And guess what? Nobody taught you how to do this. Nobody yeah. taught you how to do this when you thought you were heterosexual. Exactly. And nobody's standing here teaching you how to do this, that you're a homosexual, except you're coaching with me. So I'm going to guide you into understanding. Here's what's happening. Yeah. And I, I feel like we're doing our, in your case, a mother to a son or me with my daughters. I would be doing them a disservice if I didn't say, let's at least talk about this. You may feel uncomfortable talking about this. But guess what? If you feel uncomfortable talking about this with your father, you're going to feel uncomfortable talking about this with your boyfriend, with your fiance, with your future husband, because we don't talk about these things. Right. And the more we talk about the things that make us most uncomfortable, the more comfortable we become. Yes. And I wish people would gravitate to this space that, first of all, sex is a beautiful thing. Yes. Sex provides that, as you so beautifully said, Natasha, it provides that platform for being in communication, for being able to recognize when someone is having stress or feeling really with themselves. Because when you're raw and naked, there's a whole lot going on there. Absolutely. There's an erection or not, or whether there's a climax or not, or whether there's the big, you know, the big organ, whatever it is. But there's also those moments when you can like, okay, the one partner's reaching over and the other one's kind of like just stiff and tight. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, okay, well, the assumption is, okay, well, I guess they don't love me. Really? Right, right. Or, oh, they're not attracted to me or they're having right. an affair. And yet if we really said, hey, I can sense your mm-hmm. little standoffish right now. Is there something you want to share with me? Instead of yeah. rushing Right. Assumption or to go, I feel like there's a little something off right now, but is that just me? Or, you know, is there something you want to talk about? Yeah. Do you need space? How can yeah, I be do you need you space? right now? Are you not in How the do mood? You wanna, right. How exactly. do you want to be held? How do you, yeah. you want to be the big spoon or the little spoon? Exactly. You know, are you sad? Ago, are you stressed? Are you, right. yeah. One, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was driving on a trip and I was listening to one of Oprah's Super Soul Sundays and she was talking to the fabulous Ilana Van Zant. And she was cracking me up as she always does because she was talking about, you know, all these people come to me for marriage advice and I've been married three times. But she said, the best advice I have is to say, you know what? That's the way you do love. And I don't know that I can meet you in the way that you do love. So Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go do love somewhere else. Yeah. And to me, when we can have these raw conversations like that, right, are being so much better than I'm going to hold it in. I'm not going to say, right. I'm going to let the, you know, and then boom, the explosion happens. Yeah. I was just talking to someone recently. Um, I'm single and you know, it's always kind of a thing when you're getting to know someone. And one of the things that I said to him was, I'm so clear that I cannot be with someone who's homophobic, who's racist and who's sexist. And I'm okay if they're unknowingly those things <laughs> and they're coachable. Right. Um, but 
I think even for me, they have to be beyond that. Yep. And we're not even connect because you're not going to even understand me as a lover if you are any of those things. Mm-hmm. And I had to really come to accept that and to say that first. And it's interesting because my son was like, why did you raise me a feminist? Like, this is horrible for dating. And I said, because women are so tied, even young women are so tied to the patriarchy that when they meet a man who is not, who is respecting them, um, who is saying, hey, let's get to know each other. Hey, I don't get down like that unless we know which direction we're going. Like, I know how I am. It's like, oh, who are you? And then the first question is, are you gay? <laughs> and I always tell people that, I was like, whenever, and I have an ongoing joke with my gay friends, and I say, when people always say, oh, you don't, you don't want to have sex, you must be gay. And I said, they don't know a single gay person, honey. Because <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like, gay people are out here living their best little gay love life. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, while these straight people are over here being conservative. And right, right. And so what do you think things. the thing is you've taught your son the most through this experience? Um, you know, this has really been an 18 year experience. Um, and I think the most important thing that I t- I've taught him is that your body and whichever body is in front of you is the most sacred gift. And both those bodies are worthy of amazing love. Um, and I think that there is no tear to who deserves beautiful love and love making. I think that is my best lovers have, that's their thing. You know what I mean? When I think about my best lovers, those are the men who see the feminine divine in every woman. Mm-hmm. And they will, and they want to say, how can I bring more of that out of her? Right. Right. Not, Oh, she doesn't have a flat stomach or she has stretch marks or cellulite or, mm-hmm. They're like, oh, this is her interpretation of the female body. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. Men who can get down with that and really human beings mm-hmm. that can get down with that idea that it doesn't matter how goofy or weird or nerdy or what person is, that yeah. they are capable uh, to being an amazing lover mm-hmm. and that are, we're here to bring that out of other people, you know? It's nothing like good love uh, to bring out the creativity in a person that could be dormant, you know? So I think that he, he and my daughter uh, understand that. I don't talk about her as much because she's um, really private and she's 16, but you know, he's like, I don't care. You can talk about it. You know, he's a little bit more open, but, and I want to honor that in her. Um, But yeah. So I feel like it, it's, it's that, and he, um, my, my son is tall and very thin. Mm. And, you know, we live in this really hyper-masculine society that tells men they have to be, like, muscle-bound and right. looking like they've eaten rocks. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's your body. Right. But um, I have always told my son, because he would come home sometimes and he would say, people said I was skinny. And I'm like, oh. I said, you're not skinny, you're slim. Right. Like, you look like a tree. Mm-hmm. You look like a yoga body I'm like you look like a Kenyan you know marathon runner right it's like (laughs) I chose these different 
words to describe his body, you know? And I am a large woman. I am not a small woman at all. Like I'm taking up space. I got a big ass mouth. I have a deep voice. Um, I have a big ass, like, and it's like for him, he's like, that's my mom and she's sexy. So, you know, we use those terms with each other. Like he tells his sister, you're sexy, you're beautiful, you're smart. Like we right. talk to each other that way. We lift each other up in that way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, we, and my mom is the same way. Like, so I think that um, that is where I just want, I want, I don't, I want my children to, to be better. I don't want them mm-hmm. in their early marriage trying to figure out. Figure all this out. Yeah, or even in their 20s. Like, I want you to have great sex in your 20s. Yes. I want you to have love making in your 20s. Yes. <laughs> I don't want you to have to wait until you're in your 30s to have some amazing love making. And the thing that I've noticed, and this is interesting, and I wish we could like continue this, and we maybe we'll have you come back and do some more of this. But what I've noticed, and I'm thinking that you have too, is if you don't pay attention to this in your 20s, you end up being one of those couples in your late 30s, 40s, 50s, where there is no lovemaking, period. Mm -hmm. Because you went at it, I believe, from the the wrong way from the beginning, from the start. And then whether you call it the patriarchy or societal expectations, or if you get into the real funky place that, oh, that's only for procreation, Mm -hmm. then suddenly, this thing that actually can be one of the most beautiful things that binds a couple, whether they're a married couple or a dating couple or mm-hmm. just a, a casual relationship couple together can also be the thing that most divides that couple. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly because somebody steps out and says, I'm done. And I cannot tell you, Natasha, how many men I have worked with in my practice over the years who have said, oh yeah, I haven't had sex with my wife in like 10 years. And it wasn't because they knew they were gay. It was because it just quit happening. And we just started to like, okay, that becomes the norm. And they became numb to it. Now, of course, as they came out of the closet, then, you know, a lot of the wives and justifiably so, it could be a reason. It's like, oh, well, that's why we quit having sex. Mm -mm. And and there's Mm -mm. almost like a double take, like, Yeah. So I'm going to speak on that if I could. Yeah. 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 Straight side, because I, um, you know, work with a lot of couples who are heterosexual couples and men come to me for that mama, Mm -hmm. right. For that motherhood advice. These are men that are younger than me, men that are older than me, men that are same age as me. And people stop having sex because they have an idea around sex and intimacy. Women don't know how to ask for intimacy. And men who want sex get frustrated because they're not getting sex. So they withhold intimacy. Women don't want to be intimate because they think that it's going to turn into sex. And no one's talking about it. They're just assuming based on body language. You know, I write four pages on hugging. Mm -hmm. Four pages. Um, I do several, I talk about several types of touch, several types of kissing yes. and what those kisses could mean to women. Mm-hmm. You know, I stood in the kitchen and taught my son all the ways 
to hug a woman. And I was like, if you like someone, this is how you slide your hand around the small of her back. I said, this always means you're flirting. Mm -hmm. This is where you stay when you're, it's a friendship hug. (laughs) This is like, I hug you, I love you, I miss you, and you're my friend hug. Mm -hmm. But we could be moving into, I mean, I literally broke all that stuff down. And so, um, and so even, and it's interesting because, you know, he's always, um, both my children love children because, you know, children are so free. Sure. And I've noticed that, like, now that he is a young man, people get so nervous around him being around children, which is so sad to me because little kids love to play with him because he's, like, funny and he's like, oh, give me a high five, you know, right, give me right. a hug. And people are at the park like, oh, right. don't hug a stranger. And I'm like, right. no, that's the problem. If you don't know what a good safe hug feels like, you're not going to know what a flirty hug feels like. Exactly. If you don't know what a safe kiss and a platonic kiss feels like, you won't know what a romantic one. Mm -hmm. And in relationships, in long-term relationships specifically, you sometimes have to meet your partner at a friendship level. Yes. Before you can open that up. Women can be incredibly complicated. They spend their lives... um, trying not to look sexy, not me, um, but a lot of them are trying, I'm trying to climb a ladder, I'm working, I've got kids, I'm trying to keep this, this, this you know, shit together, and then you want them to turn into a sex kitten. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You ha- as a man, um, you have to do the things that are going to create that, and that's what I talk about in the book, is that, you know, I have a section that says, the best foreplay is a clean kitchen, mm-hmm. and I'm like, have to learn what your woman's or your lover's clean kitchen is. Mm -hmm. It could be having her car cleaned and vacuumed. It could be the laundry is already started when she gets home. You have to remove the barriers so that a woman can get out of her head and get into her body, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be okay with that moving slowly. You know, we have couples that don't even look at each other in the eye. Mm -hmm. They don't even Mm -hmm. gaze into yep. each other's eyes. Don't gaze, don't kiss, don't, you know, and, and it, it is that thing that I think so many human beings get to this space where we're numb to intimacy. Yeah. We only know, okay, wham, bam, sex, great. And I see this in the gay community all the time. And I see so many gay men like struggle with, I can't find a relationship. Well, Here's why. Number one, you're, you've been told for all these years, you're not supposed to be this. Mm-hmm. So just to go do anything is wrong right out the gate. Mm-hmm. And then once you are free to go do this, you go fuck like rabbits because this is what we do. This is what gay men do. Mm-hmm. We've been told that, oh, all gay men do is have sex all the time. So now you got that. You're either being told you can't be that or you're being told this is all you do. Well, then suddenly, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and, and I'm generalizing, but I've done but that. I don't know, I get it, right. You know, where suddenly that is all they're doing. And then they wonder why they suddenly don't seem to be able to fall into a relationship. Well, when your dick is what's driving everything, mm-hmm. you can't fall into a relationship unless it's a relationship about having sex. Yeah. yeah. And then suddenly, as soon as somebody says, oh, let's get to know each other. Oh, fuck. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. I think I want to do that, but I don't know how the fuck to do it mm-hmm. because I know how to fuck you. Yeah. I know how to give you a blowjob. I know how to do all that. But wait, get to know you? Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I'm not sure. What does that mean? Yeah. And can I trust you? Because I'm not sure if you're going to be good to me. And, and so it's just, it's such a fascinating thing. I know it's not just the gay world because I have girlfriends that I talk to about this in the heterosexual world, that it's the same thing that the core of this. And I think this is where it's a really great place to bring this full circle is when you give power to having conversations and talking about the things that make you most uncomfortable, you will create comfort because as soon as you start talking about them, they're not as uncomfortable. Right. Absolutely. I was um, sharing with my children that I felt like I had shifted yeah. and that I didn't um, want to have multiple lovers anymore mm-hmm. and that I wanted a relationship. I wanted a monogamous relationship. I wanted a relationship because I really yeah. um, a committed exclusive relationship Mm -hmm. and committed exclusive monogamous relationship. And, um, and so we talked about what that was like and the, how that was going to be different for me because they noticed something was different about me, about what was going on, about who I was entertaining. You know what I mean? And it wasn't even anything to feel shameful about. Um, and so, you know, I've always been an online dater. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will definitely say the quality has gone down significantly. Yep. And men have become really horrible communicators. They actually don't know how to talk to women. Mm-hmm. And so I find myself as an online dater coaching men. <laughs> I'm like, you know, and I'm asking them, when you just said that, what were you expecting what have you been taught that led you to believe that that was somehow going to ignite a woman? Mm, mm. You know, and they're always like, oh, I'm like, right. Exactly. I was like, why are you 45 years old without a shirt on Mm -hmm. taking a selfie in the bathroom? Right. Exactly. If you have a beautiful body, I can see it through your shirt. Yes. I've seen enough naked bodies to know what your body is going to kind of look like. Right. And, and even at that, give me something to just mm-hmm. look forward to. Yeah. And, and that's why I just, I love what you're doing here. I love that you've done this book that you targeted in the way that you have to your son and other young men, because these are the conversations we talk about toxic masculinity and all this stuff. And I've always been a huge advocate that most of the things we think are toxic if we just had conversations about them, they would not be near as toxic. Everything from racism, exactly. feminism, to gender inequality, yeah. any of this stuff, homophobia. If we could just have conversations about it, things would begin to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've taken this beautiful step and put Mama Sutra out there in the world so that some young man or many young men can start to see the wisdom of it's okay to talk about these things and to get it at a very young age. So, so glad you were here and enjoyed getting to have this conversation. I, I know it's a beautiful way to bring people out of their closet about how to talk about love and lovemaking. So, and again, folks, the book is Mama Sutra, Love and Lovemaking, Advice to My Son. And we'll have all the information to connect up with Natasha, where to get the book, where to buy it. And, um, 
and just again, thank you for being here and sharing yourself so beautifully. I so love oh, thank you so much. I, your show is great. I um, listened to it and immediately started sending out links to <laughs> certain oh, friends. Awesome. I was like, oh, you've got to listen to this with this with this one. So awesome. I love the work that you're doing. And um, it is true. Like we all do have something to come out about to be unapologetic. We mm-hmm. all have closets and some of those closets are big and yes. some of them are tiny, but uh, that is love making can help mm-hmm. love making can help people feel secure yes. and safe and ready to face what it takes to come out. Absolutely. I want to remind people of that. So yes. thank exactly. you. Thank you so much, Natasha. Enjoyed this conversation. You have a good one. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about and you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, We'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.